You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Year of Fulfillment, Part 6. Enjoy. We left our homes, we're in this public place, and we're in your presence. This is fun. And we're not leaving here today the same as when we came in. We're leaving here stronger. We thank you for taking us to new levels of glory today. We thank you for the new things that you're doing in our life today. We thank you that 2017 is a new year. It's a year of fulfillment. It's a year of the unfinished things getting finished, of the unfulfilled things being fulfilled. It's a year of your plan and purpose manifesting in our lives. And we thank you, Father, that by your grace, we are going all the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to get it going on here. 2017, we've never been here before. No one's ever been to this day before. Isn't that exciting? This is a time that's never been, and here we are. Isn't it something that we're together? I know that this is not a chance. I know that God is working things out for our good. Because we've declared Jesus Lord over every circumstance, over every situation of our lives, and he has a way of working it out. And by the time the smoke clears, we're going to be higher than we were before, higher than we are now. So we're living the dream in this new time. We're living out God's dream for our lives in 2017. That's what we've been talking about in the start of this new year. And God has a dream for your life. Martin Luther King talked about having a dream. Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream. Well, God has a dream for you. And I don't know all the details of God's dream for your life, but I know some of the fundamentals. And three of those fundamentals are this, wholeness, wholeness, prosperity, and fulfillment. Let's look at 3 John 1-2 again. I'm well aware that when a minister starts talking about these things that some alarms go off. Oh no, is that one of those prosperity preachers or is that one of those whatever? I have no desire to be anything but a son of God, a disciple of Jesus. I pledge allegiance to him, okay? So if you wonder what group I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, Okay? I follow Christ. If he said it, if he demonstrated it in his ministry, I believe it, okay? All we need is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So if we just look to him, we're going to understand things that we wouldn't understand in any other way, all right? Now, 3 John 1, 2 was written by John through the Holy Spirit, but this verse communicates the heart of any father and certainly the heart of our Abba Father. He says, beloved, and who's beloved? It's you, isn't it? You're God's beloved. Do you know that? Think of yourself in that way. When you get up in the morning, you're his beloved. He loves you. You're cherished by him. You're his valentine, right? Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Behold, beloved, I wish above all things, there's nothing more important to me than that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. 
Every father desires this for his children. You don't have to tell a father to desire this. From the moment a father holds that baby in his arms, boom, I want the best for this child. Why? Because we were made in the image of God. Now, religion will fight you on this thing and try and, well, you can't have everything and, you know, not everything works out and you can't always be talking about positive things. And why can't we? Why, why can't we talk about who Christ is all the time? Why can't we meditate upon the reality of Christ and let the reality of Christ transform us and the circumstances of our lives, right? We're well aware that this world is falling apart, that we're living in enemy territory and it's a negative world, but we've got the light of life in us, right? So every father desires for his, his children to prosper, to be whole, to prosper and to live a fulfilling life. And your father is no different. In fact, he's much better than any earthly father we could ever have. And that's what we're talking about. Last week we said, Satan, your enemy, that his bark is worse than his bite. Right? He's a bully, isn't he? Did you guys do your homework? Did you watch Opie and the Bully? Season 2, Episode 1 of the Andy Griffith Show. How many people watched it? Come on. Oh, one. All right. Yeah, that was your homework. You were supposed to watch Opie and the Bully. It's Season 2, Episode 1 of the Andy Griffith Show. How many people know the Andy Griffith Show? Come on. All right. Yes, if you got Netflix, just go to Season 2, Episode 1. It's a great episode, but there's a bully picking on Opie, and Opie learns how to take care of him. But you got to learn how to do that with the enemy. Okay, because he won't leave you alone uh, because you cry or because you feel like quitting. He doesn't want you to, to, to make it. In fact, the, the devil wants to control the outcome of your circumstances. He wants to control the outcome ultimately of your life. Now, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and, and you've confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you know, he's lost the eternal battle with you. But while you're on earth, there's some smaller battles he wants to try and win, right? I mean, the worst thing that happened to us is our body, you know, stopped working and we're in glory, right? So ultimately, we can't lose no matter what, right? But there are a lot of things we want to accomplish for the glory of God while we're here on the earth. We want to live a glorious life so that when people meet us, they can meet Christ, right? We want to be a channel for God's Spirit. So there's a lot of things that Satan would like to try and stifle or stop or block in your life. He wants to control the circumstances of your life. Now, don't ever make a decision about God's will for your life based on your circumstances. What? Yeah. Don't ever make a decision about who God is about his character and nature, about his will for your life based on your circumstances or based on what you've been through. Why? Because we're living in a fallen world and Satan's the God of this world. We base our decisions about the will of God on who? Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts. Where do you find those five books? First five books of the New Testament, right? 
That's where we determine God's will for our lives. Jesus was God in the flesh, right? When he came to earth, when he began his ministry about the age of 30, he demonstrated to us clearly who God is right, and his will for our lives, okay? So we know based on the ministry of Christ, he did three things, teaching, preaching, and healing, right? You won't find one place where Jesus told someone that they were to be sick that it was God's purpose and will for them to be. You won't find one place. You will find many places where just the opposite happened, where he revealed it was God's will to heal. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if I would base what I believe on what I've been through, I would think God want me to be sick, depressed, frustrated, a failure, right. you know, confused, uh, misused, abused if I base what I believe about God on what I've been through in life. But I'm so glad that's not the case. So remember, we're living in, in hostile territory, all right? And we're aware that what go, what's going on in the world around us may be very contrary to what God has planned for us. But we're also aware that he's greater than anyone or anything in this world, and we've got the victory in Christ, right? Amen. So what we do, it's a little different. As sons and daughters of God, instead of accepting our circumstances, we take authority over them. We exercise the lordship of Christ over our lives and over our circumstances. Satan would love to keep you captive. Oh, he'd love it. I mean, if he, if he can't keep you from being born again, his next bet is just to confuse you keep you depressed, discouraged, frustrated, afraid. But we're not going to let them do that, are we? Well, how do we change that? As you gain knowledge of what God's done for you through Christ, Satan's grip on your life gets weaker and weaker. It does. So in other words... You put your faith in Christ, that Jesus, your Lord of my life, I believe you've, you've, for, you've bore my sins and you rose from the dead for me. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit makes your spirit brand new. That doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to experience total freedom in your life. You are free, but you may not realize it yet. In other words, what happens to us spiritually, we don't always realize that we don't realize the fullness of what took place when we were born of God's Spirit. So we need to begin to learn the reality of what's happened on the inside of us. Religion can be a big hindrance to that. Okay? It'll put your focus on, on uh, a lot of other things, but except for what Jesus did for you. All right? Religion will start to put your focus on what you have to do. Right? You can't set yourself free. Jesus set you free. So we want to put your focus on what Christ did for you. You will find when you learn what Christ did for you, strength and power like you've never known will begin to rise up inside of you and Satan will lose his grip on your life. So let's do that right now. Where do we find out about what God's done for us? Where do we find out? CNN? Fox News? No. In the Word, don't we? Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. So in 2017, you're going to see Satan's grip get weaker and weaker. 
on the areas of your life. This is a year of fulfillment. It's time for you to walk in the liberty of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to walk away from your past and step into a whole new life, a life of freedom? Is, I mean, are you willing to be free even if people criticize you and call you names right, and think you've lost it? I, that's okay with me. I'd rather be free. I'd rather be free. I love 2 Peter. Did I just say chapter 1? That's the chapter I want to go to if I didn't say it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, the unmerited favor of God, the operational power of God, and peace, irony, wholeness, right? It's to be set at one again, be multiplied to you. That's over and over and over and over and over again. How? Automatically? No. In the knowledge of God, by learning who He is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Christ. What are those three things we want to learn? Who He is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Christ. Let's say it again. We're going to learn who He is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Christ. We need to grow in the knowledge of those three things. What three things are they? Who He is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Christ. And we're motivated to learn these things because we're, we're on hazardous duty here. We're in enemy territory. And if we learn these three things, the enemy won't be able to have his way in our lives anymore. All right? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, look at verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So we're not going to go on some great fast to try and obtain these things because he's already given them to us. It's amazing what religion teaches that you've got to do to try and get these things from God. Doesn't it say he, his, his divine power has granted to us what? 32%? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. And no one can change that. It's up to us to receive it through simple faith, right? Through the true knowledge. So there's false knowledge out there, isn't there? Yeah. I was told that I had to go to the church regularly and sit in a little booth and confess my sins to a guy. That's what I was told growing up. That's false knowledge. It didn't help me. It didn't set me free. What set me free is realizing Jesus bore my sins, Right? The true knowledge of him. So look, are, there any are you holding on to any false knowledge? Let go of it fast. Your enemy doesn't play around. Let go of it fast. The false knowledge, the true knowledge of him who called by his own glory and excellence. Boy, there's an urgency inside of me this morning. Thank you, Father. For by these, look at the next verse. For by these he has granted to us his precious. Did he, is he going to do this? According to the Scriptures, he's already done this. So what must I do to get him to do this? Why? Because he already did it. Doesn't matter how much I pray. Doesn't matter how often I come to church. Doesn't matter how often I read the Bible. He already did this. So if I pray, it's not to get him to do something. 
It's to come in line with what he's already done. Big difference. Big difference takes all the struggle out of it. Now prayer becomes a I can't wait thing instead of a right? Now it's, oh, yeah, I want to get along with God. I don't ever want to stop, you know? I want to be with him all the time, right? Because the more I'm with him, the more I become like him, the more I experience him, right? He's already done it so that by them, so he did it with you in mind, you may become partakers of his nature. He did it all for you. He had a purpose in it, right? Having escaped the corruption that it's in the world by lust. So Satan's grip on your life becomes weaker and weaker as we begin to fill our minds and hearts with his promises. Isn't that what it says? Through his precious and magnificent promises. So at Highway Church, we major in the promises of God. Why? Because we want to experience his nature. We don't major in man's doctrine. I know it's a dead end. That's why. We don't major in the current trends and philosophies of the day. We major in the promises of God. We're all about that. Okay? Because it's the only way to go higher. It's the only way to know his will accurately through his promises. Right? His prom- there, there are promises all throughout the Bible. Now, not everything in the Bible is a direct promise from God, right? So you gotta, you've got you to dig. You've got to look. You gotta, when you find it, grab a hold of that thing. What does uh, 2 Corinthians, I think, one twenty said? For no matter how many promises God has made, right, they are yes in Christ, right? And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So every promise God has made, we say yes and amen to it. It's now stamped with a great big yes because of Christ. All right? How we doing? We okay? All right. Let's zero in on Jesus now. We're not coming to church. We are the church, right? We're, we're living epistles. We're alive. We're breathing Jesus. And we're leaving here different today. Hallelujah. So we're filling our minds with the promises of God. We're imagining in them. We're visualizing ourselves walking in the fullness of them. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. We're using our imagination to see the reality of what he's promised in our lives today. This is Bible faith. This is God's instruction to Joshua, and this is Old Covenant. But the principle of meditations still applies. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So that where's our mouth at? Right here, right? But you shall meditate on it day and night. So we see that the mouth and meditation go together. Right? Meditation is not a silent thing. Right? Didn't he just say your mouth? But you shall meditate. So this would be someone else's version of meditation. Right? God's biblical version involves your mouth, okay? We're going to explain that. But you shall meditate on it day and night. What does that word meditate mean? You guys remember? Ponder is another one. Let's put up, uh, well, let's read the rest of it, then we'll go into it. 
Meditate on it day and night. Ponder, speak, say softly to yourself over and over. Mutter, recite, rehearse is what it means. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, if you say softly to yourself over and over again, my promises, imagine in that word also means, if you imagine, see yourself walking in the fulfillment of my promises, then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success. Let's put up that, uh, the Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible translation. This is the HCSB translation. I like this. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. There's a mouth again. You are to recite it. Okay? You're to say it over and over again, day and night, so that you may carefully observe, perceive, recognize, experience everything written in it. Then you'll prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And this is where so many believers are missing it. They don't realize it. It's in their mouth. They speak what they're going through. They speak what they've been through. They speak how they feel instead of who God is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Christ. So we have a different language here. We speak who God is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Christ. Even in the midst of contrary feelings, contrary circumstances, contrary situations. Because who He is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Christ trumps the circumstances. Right? All right. Let's see here. Psalm 119, verse 97, talks about meditation as well. I like how it's written here. It says, oh, how I love your law. It is my... Language, it's my imagination. That word means imagine it as well. It's my imagination all the day. How about you? What do you give the channel of your mind to as you're going through your day? Are you thinking, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? His plan to prosper me is daily being fulfilled. I'm being led by His Spirit. I hear his voice. He's accomplishing the things that concern me. He's perfecting the things that concern me. He's causing me to prosper and to be in health. He's leading me by his spirit. He's working all things out for my good. It's my imagination all the day. If you'll begin to do this, it will change everything. But you are the only one that can control your imagination. Just my imagination. Running away with me. It's an old uh, Motown tune, isn't it? Our imagination, we don't let it run away. We control it. We direct it. We focus it like lasers, right, on who he is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. Uh, the, the Holman says it this way, the HCSB. How I love your instruction. It's my meditation all day long. All day, every day, right? How about the message? Oh, this is good. Oh, how I love all you've revealed. Jesus is the revelation, the revealing of the nature of God, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, you're looking at God in the flesh. How I love what you've revealed. How I love. I meditate on the person of Christ all day long. 
I love that. I love as I'm going throughout my day doing the things I need to do, thinking about Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead. I love thinking about that, that funeral procession and the mother's weeping because her son has died. And he walks up to the procession and he speaks to the, the dead son's body and, and he raises him up. I say, yes, Lord. Thank you for doing the same in our lives because we're just like you, right? This is how we think as we go through the day. We're not thinking about, oh, did I do that right? Oh, I should have done that. Oh, I need, I need to pray for two more hours tomorrow. Oh, I didn't go to church last week. Oh, I haven't read my Bible. No, that's called uh, fruitless thinking. That will not produce results in your life, right? We already know we've fallen short of the glory of God. No sense in meditating on it, right? It's time to meditate not on our shortcomings, but on who he is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. Amen. In fact, this is so important. Proverbs 4 says it this way. Proverbs 4, verse 20, says, My son, give attention. That's a, that's a military stance. Attention. It's a stance. It's, it's being focused on something or regarding something as important or assuming a posture in your life because of the situation or the, the location that you're in. I'm in attention. Right? I recognize not everything's just going to happen automatically. I recognize I've got to trust him. I've got to engage my heart with his heart. I've got to engage my imagination in the reality of Christ. I've got to do it. No one can do it for me. right? So I've got this laser focus, right? We've got this, we're, we're at attention. We're focused on Jesus, right? My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Incline means that's the direction I'm facing, right? I'm facing, I'm leaning towards him because I, I intend on doing what he did in greater things than these. John 14, 12 through 14, right? Hallelujah. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So God, like this is important to God, right? He's giving us instruction here. So we don't take it lightly, right? We, we're, this, this is a big deal. Verse 22, why is it so important to him? Because your life's important to him. He cherishes you. He wants wholeness for you. So he's given us his instruction, not so that he can feel um, better or that he can uh, appease some um, religious desire. He's doing it because their life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. He wants you to experience life and health every day of your life. Yeah. And it's through his simple promises. By making them the focus of your attention. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. And that word health in the Hebrew means the cure and the remedy. God's promises are life to those who find them and the cure and the remedy to all their whole body. How many people are paying big bucks to find some kind of prescription medication or something that will cure what they have and the cure is right there? It's true. When he says their health to your whole body, he means it. 
There it is. Isn't that great? You just found the cure for your body. No joke. Watch over your heart. Okay, so we do have to do something. We need to watch over our heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Well, I, 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 are, you, are we doing all right? I just feel an urgency inside of me, like there's a little struggle going on here. I'm not sure. Is there maybe a struggle going on inside with someone? Listen, Jesus' yoke is easy, and his load is light. Right? He has no burden to lay upon you. He bore your burden so you could bear God's favor. Okay? What we're talking about is not a heavy thing. It's a purposeful thing. All right? Religion will tell you the, the things you have to do to get to heaven or you have to do to please God. When Jesus was asked, what, what, what must I do to do the works of God? He said, believe on the one whom he sent. It's simple faith. That's all we're exhorting you to do here. But that is something only you can choose to do. No one can believe for you. So what is commonly taught is that everything that happens is God's will. The Bible doesn't teach that. Far from it. Right? The Bible teaches where Satan is the God of this world. So we're trying to lift people up out of that thinking into a new way of living where you can now believe God, where you can now experience who Jesus is in your own life regardless of what you've been through, that you don't have to sit back and kesara, sarah, right? What will be, will be, right? Murphy's Law has been broken in your life. What's Murphy's Law? Did you ever hear of that? What, what, what does it say? Whatever will go wrong or will go wrong or something like that. If anything will go wrong, I don't know. Basically, it's not good, Right? <laughs> right? That's been broken in your life. You're not a failure anymore. You're not a loser. You become God's son, God's daughter. Now success and victory belong to you. Do not settle for anything less. Don't settle for anything less than victory in your life. It's your inheritance. Hallelujah. I'm not sure what's going on in someone's heart or mind today, but victory is your inheritance. This is not a religious debate. We're talking about God's love for you. All right? So cherishing God's word, God's promises above all else causes us to live differently. It moves us to make our decisions for different reasons. Now look at verse 21 and 22 in the message translation. It says, keep my message or my promises in plain view at all times. Concentrate. Learn it by heart. Verse 22, those who discover these words live. I'm telling you, God's promises will break depression off your life. You'll be free from it forever. Forever. Those who discover these words live they really live body and soul. They're bursting with health. Now, verse 24. This is good in the message. Are you ready? So I think what's, what the struggle is going on here is we're trying to help you to understand that you have a choice to believe God in your life. It, things don't have to keep going the way they've been going. 
you can turn it around through simple faith in him. No matter how bad it seems. And this message is going online too. So I, I believe I'm, I'm saying this for somebody somewhere. That it doesn't have to keep going the way it's been going. Change what you believe. Grab a hold of the promises of God. He's greater than your mistakes. He's greater than your failures. He's greater than your sickness. He's greater than your depression. Grab a hold of his promises and let the health and life of Christ rise up inside of you. Now, here's why this is so important, because of the world we're living in. It says, don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Avoid, here we go, careless banter. Ooh. White lies and gossip. Now that's good. Well, what's the next verse say? Keep your eyes straight ahead. Oh, I like this one. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Okay, then. I guess we'll put it in park here for just a minute. So, would you say there's any careless banter, white lies, gossip, sideshow distractions in our culture? Gee, let me think about it. Uh, I'd say it's overrun with it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole lot of that stuff. All you have to do is turn on the news for a minute, right? Yeah. A lot of careless banter. Social media, whoo! Careless banter. Not all of it. It does not mean that everything's wrong, but you really have to be wise in the words you allow, right, to anchor in your thought processes in life, right? So we're on the lookout for careless banter, right? But you know what? It's, we're, we're not people that walk around afraid or on eggshells. We're confident, strong people, Okay? And by simply focusing on the promises of God, like God instructed Joshua in Psalm 119 and Proverbs 4, by elevating who God is, what he's done for us, and who we are in Christ, by elevating his promises in our hearts and minds, we are elevated above the careless banter and noise of our culture. We're lifted above it. It doesn't drag us down. It doesn't hinder us because we're living life above the noise. We don't give it credence. We recognize it for what it is, blah, blah, blah. Right? That's all it is, blah, blah, blah. Now we're going to hit home in just a minute here, so stay with me. Woo, this is good. Our, now, can I, can I say this? We elevate the promises of God above our nationality. Above my biological family. Above my ethnicity. Above my culture. Above my grandma. We're, I mean, Jesus, is he's it for us. He reigns supreme in our thought process, processes, in our heart, in our imagination. He's the center. He's the focus. He's our all-consuming passion. And we won't allow the devil to push any buttons in our lives. And this is this political correct 
culture that is trying to be forced upon us is a dangerous thing. Why? It creates weak people that are easily offended. Okay? Love is not easily offended. It's not. You can call me a Giants fan, and I won't get mad. Because love, the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart, right? No, listen. This whole idea, if you look at world history, you'll see a pattern of the enemy trying to oppress people. And the number one way he does it is through words. Number one, because of everything we just read, your mouth. Your mouth determines your freedom. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So if Satan can control your tongue, he can control the outcome of your circumstances. But he can't if you won't let him. All right? He can't because you have control over your tongue. Isn't that great? That's the rudder of your life, and you're in control of it. So we don't get upset and nasty because someone doesn't address us in a certain way. You know what my name is? Joseph. That, you can just call me Joseph, but I don't really care what you call me because I love you anyway, right? Why do I say that? Because there is a, it's been going on for decades in America, this, this push for p- political correctness, whatever that is. But in other words, you can't say this word, and books can't have this word in it, and songs can't have this, these words in it. And if they do, the government pulls them out. One of the things that made our country uh, so great was the freedom of speech, where we can say what we want to say. I know that's, that can be frightening, but it's good, you know, that our tongues are able to say what we want to say. And the government, anytime they try and stop that, trouble is going to come. Bondage is going to come, right? So this idea of speaking the promises of God, of letting your tongue Declare who God is, what he's done for you, and who you are in Christ is essential. And when you begin to elevate his promises, you'll begin to recognize careless banter. You'll begin to recognize blah, blah, blah. All right? I want to give you a little test here in a second. So when who Jesus really is, is is preeminent in your heart, you'll rise above the culture you're living in. You'll rise above what any, whatever challenges you face. Now, Satan, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, uh, uh, the writer of Ephesians refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Interesting. I, I, uh, yeah, Paul. Paul wrote Ephesians. And he also said in Corinthians, Satan was the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Jesus said he was the ruler of this world, or the prince of this world. That's important. We don't ignore that, right? We need to understand our enemy. So in other words, he's going to try and get to you in any way he can. He's going to try and get his words to you. And today he has more access to words than he's ever had, right? I'm thankful for the internet. It's a great tool, but you have to be aware of the words that are flying at you. And the latest headlines, because they're usually bogus, okay? So what Satan wants to do is work through ungodly words to get into your life, through headlines, insults, names, 
things that might get you upset. Through twisted truth, through sensationalized stories. You know what sensationalized stories are? What you see on the news most of the time. Let me read you a definition of sensationalized, the word sensationalized. (laughs) To present information about something in a way that provokes public interest and excitement. Okay, well, maybe that's not so bad, but here's the rest of the definition. At the expense of accuracy. At the expense of truth. Let me read you that again. This is from the dictionary. not making it up. This is what sensationalized is. So it's in the dictionary because it happens. <laughs> Present information about something in a way that provokes public interest and excitement at the expense of accuracy. So we know that the media is not God's method of salvation. Right? I mean, we know that, right? In fact, 1 Corinthians, let's go to chapter, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 17. What's God's method of transforming us? What's God's method of, of bringing us into the fullness of our salvation? Preaching. Yeah. Not just any preaching, but good news, gospel, real preaching, right? Says it this way, Paul says it this way, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach. That means to proclaim. It's, it's the word, see if I can say it right. Uangalizo. Uh, I don't know how to say it. But it basically is the word evangelize. And you know what evangelize means? It doesn't mean yell at people and tell them they're going to hell. It actually means to announce good news. Yeah. It means um, to declare good things, to bring glad tidings, to show good things. It's a message intended to cheer the hearer. That's what changes us, right? So that's what God sent me to do, right? To, to, To bring good, to cheer up the hearers. Not with the wisdom of words, Now, we're going to clarify these talking about the words of man. We'll see that in another translation. Lest the cross of Christ should be of none effect. Let's read that. Let's see. uh, In the NIV. Put the NIV up there. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. That's what the gospel means. Right? Not with words of human wisdom. There you go. That's what that means. Not with words of human wisdom. And boy, are there words of human wisdom flying across the, the airwaves in this world. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean man can undo what Jesus did? No, of course not. But in your life, it can nullify it. In other words, Jesus said your religious tradition is making the word of God of no effect. Right? So in other words, if I listen to these human words, it's going to hinder my faith. It's, it's going to block my channel. Right? It's going to hinder my experience with God because now I'm taking what man says over what God says. Right? That's what he's talking about. And the promises of God could be of no effect in my life because I'm listening to the latest headline or what so-and-so and said or man's religious doctrines. Okay? Okay. I want to see here. I'm, I'm watching the time. I want to make sure we get through everything. So let's, let's look at uh, verse 18 now, same chapter, uh, chapter 1. Let's go on to verse 18, King James. 
For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Isn't that amazing? It was foolish to me once. <laughs> but unto us, which you're saying, it's the power of God. It's everything. We love to hear about it. Right? We love to hear. What's the cross? The finished work. What God sent Jesus to do for, for us, right? It's what he did for us. The preaching of what Jesus did for us, right? We love it. Can't get enough of it. It's the power of God to us, right? We love to hear about what Christ did for us. That's what we talked about last week as well. For it is written, now destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So the wisdom of the quote-unquote wise is not going to last. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Check. Verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. We're going to see what that means in a second here. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Let's look at verse 21 in the message. This is so good. Uh, verse 21. Ooh, there's a lot there. Can we get to just 21? Or Okay, well, uh, since the world, where's that at? Since the world in all its fancy line, what? Third from the bottom. Okay, third from the bottom. Since the world in all its fancy wisdom, <laughs> I like that. The world can dazzle you with, with bling, right? But that doesn't mean it's true. Since the world and all its fancy audio and video, software and technology, and the latest graphics and design and talented people, right, had never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb. Hello, you're looking at me right here, right? <laughs> Preaching of all things to bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. That word is soteria or soteria. I'm not sure how to say it, but it means wholeness, salvation, okay? All right. Verse 23. Verse 23. Let's go to that one. So we preach Christ crucified. That's what God has done for us, all right? Under the Jews, a stumbling block. Some people get upset at it. Under the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. All right, now we're going to have a little fun here before we close. You guys like to laugh, don't you? We're going to talk about deflate gate. Before we get there, just hang tight. So the wisdom of this world uh, used to be our conversation before Christ. We used to talk about the latest stuff. Before I knew anybody, that's what you talk about, what's on TV you know, what so-and-so said. You hear what they said about you? You know, all the gossip, all the she said, they said. We, that used to be our conversation. But it's not anymore. We think differently now. We speak differently. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Well, let's, let's just for time's sake. Verse 2 says this. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, there it is, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, you can tell by their conversation. Look at verse 3. Among whom we also all had our conversation in times past. Do you know your conduct grows out of your conversation? When you change your conversation, your conduct will change. All right? Now, can we talk about deflate gate? You say, why are we talking about deflate gate at church? One scripture I want to share with you. 
Remember I said Satan wants to control the outcome of your life. He wants to control what other people uh, think of you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to say things about you that aren't true. He wants to accuse you. He wants to condemn you. That is the age we're living in, all right? And he's the God of this age. Now, Isaiah 29, look at this verse. We don't have time to read all of these verses. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll start in verse 20, Isaiah 29, verse 20. It says, for the ruthless will come to an end. The scorner will be finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off. Now, look at verse 21. I remember when the Lord showed me this. This is amazing. Who cause a person to be indicted by a word and ensnare him who adjudicates at the gate and defraud the one in the right with meaningless arguments. Wow. What you'll hear online and in the news often is meaningless words, meaningless arguments about why you should be upset about why you should march, about why you should shout and scream and get mad. Well, we don't listen to it. We're happy people. We're full of joy that's unspeakable, and we recognize the age we're living in. So Satan wants to pull you into all this mess. Have you ever heard of innocent until proven guilty? In the New Testament, Jesus talked about it's got to be on the testimony of two or three witnesses, Right? So innocent until proven guilty is something we have in America. We should have in America, right, if the, if the constitutions follow. But it's this presumption of innocence, right, that Satan doesn't want you to experience because you've been declared just in God's sight, right, free from condemnation. There's this presumption of innocence in America which says the burden of proof is on the one who accuses, not on the one who's been accused. You guys get that? All right? It's on the one who accuses, okay? Uh, and the, so the, the one who accuses, called the prosecution, has to collect and present enough compelling evidence to convince the trier of this fact, the judge, right? Who's uh, ordered, to, uh, ordered by law to consider only actual evidence and testimony that is legally admissible, all right? And in most cases, lawfully obtained. And, the, and, and that the accused is actually guilty, and it has to be, on, be beyond reasonable doubt. And if there's reasonable doubt, if any reasonable doubt remains, the accused is considered not guilty. All right? I want you to keep this in mind. This is the year of fulfillment as we go forward. We're going to talk about Deflategate, but this is relevant to what we're talking about because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he will accuse you, and it might be something you did. But God's grace is greater than our mistakes, right? So there's never any condemnation for us. We're free from it forever, regardless of what mistakes we have made or might make. We can run before the throne of grace without shame any time, day or night. Now, in the Middle Ages, they left this model of law in Europe, okay? And they went to something called presumed guilt, you ever heard of that? In other words, the accused was presumed guilty, and they had to prove that they were innocent. Big difference. In fact, it states here that they had to have 12 people swear that they could not have done it to be declared innocent in this, in this uh, article that I read. 
Can you imagine that, getting 12 people? That's big, big different than two or three witnesses, right? And so this obviously was not just. So what happened, I, I, I like to take some of the foolishness of what we see in the headlines that the world gets all fired up about over absolutely nothing. I don't remember what it was. I guess uh, two Januaries ago, right, the Patriots played the uh, Ravens, was it, in the championship game, and whooped them soundly, right, 40-something. I don't remember what the score was. Was it the Colts? Was the Ravens before that? Well, somehow an accusation came forward that, uh, that the Patriots deflated their footballs, okay? Now, after the game, the next day, I think this accusation came out. I remember hearing that thinking, that is so funny. I thought it was a joke, you know, because if you've ever played with a football outside, you know the pressure changes, whether it's cold or hot, right? If you, that's just a common knowledge. Kids know that, right? You get your air pump out, you fill it back up again. It just happens because that's what happens with, with balls that have air in them, right? So I thought it was kind of a joke, but then people started taking it seriously. This accusation. You guys all right? Can we talk about this? You may never hear this anywhere else, but I, I, I just want to share how foolish this culture is we're living in. So they accused, uh, then accused Tom Brady of deflating these footballs. You think, okay, they've got to be kidding, right? So, so the, and they claim they're doing it for the integrity of the game. See, when you're successful, jealousy sets in in other people's lives, unfortunately, and they want to try and take you out. So as the Patriots, I think, won the Super Bowl, a commentator said something I probably shouldn't, the NFL probably didn't want him to say. He said, the NFL doesn't want this to happen. I thought, oh, he shouldn't have said that. He said, why? They tried to set up a free agency system so that one team wouldn't keep winning. And, and, they own, and there are other owners that are upset about that, that one team continues to win. Now, I'm not trying to promote the Patriots or football. I'm just taking a, a current example last week that we can all relate to. This is how the enemy does things. Accuse, 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 accuse. Doesn't matter if there's any evidence. Accuse, 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 accuse. If you listen to accusations long enough, you'll believe them. If you listen to careless banter long enough, you'll believe it. So it turned out the NFL launched this investigation, and they really didn't even have a precedent for it. The two the gauges that were used didn't even say the same thing. Three out of four of the other team's balls were underinflated, right? That many professors from renowned universities said, listen, this is what happens. This is the, the gas law, and they, and they were silenced. There was clearly an agenda there that didn't have anything to do with footballs. Okay, they didn't want the team to continue winning. Okay, just, just, just telling you, you see things differently when you don't get caught up in the noise. Right? They found zero evidence to validate their claim. So integrity would dictate, okay, an accusation has come forward. Well, it sounds kind of silly. I'll look into it, right? We'll look into it. Okay, you know what? We've checked three of the four of the team's other balls. They were, we don't have sufficient evidence here. We don't even have a system to watch this and monitor it. You know, we'll look into it in the future. But we're certainly not going to defame someone like Isaiah said. We're not going to defame someone's character for two years, right, for a foolish accusation, which is what Satan will try and do is defame your character, okay? So there was never any proof of it, yet it was assumed true of so many people. And that's true of many stories in the news, right? People believe it because it was a headline. They'll believe it because the person who said it has experience in that field. They'll believe it because it was on TV or because so-and-so said so. But I want you to know the promises of God are greater than any accusation 
that the enemy could ever bring against you. And that if you'll just stay with the promises of God, your justification, your vindication, your righteousness will rise to the top and you will experience the abundant life he came to give you. Let's wind this thing up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for lifting us above the noise of our culture, for bringing us into this new way of living, uh, a way of living that's um, governed by what you did for us through Jesus Christ, that's governed by the finished work of your son. So we thank you, Father, for brand new life. We thank you for revealing more of Christ to us each and every day this week. And Lord, we're determined not to let careless banter and white lies and gossip and the noise of the day and the headlines of the day alter or affect or hinder our destiny. We're going forward and we will win and we will fulfill all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.